But sometimes people give you advice and they have no merit to give you advice. We can find so many truths in God's word that can help to set us free no matter what we're going through. Would you join me? Father, as we begin this new series on marriage, every one of us in this room that have had the great privilege to be loved by someone and to love someone for any length of time and for it to be a holy union, we are so grateful. But Lord, probably in a crowd this size, there's some of us here today that have struggled. Today, some of us are not married, we're single. Single again, widowed. I pray, Holy Spirit, that none of us will feel excluded today. That, Holy Spirit, you'll minister to each and every one of us right at the point of our deepest need. So, Father, we give you these next few moments. We ask it, Lord, that it will be a holy place that we can receive into our own lives how to make our marriages better, to make relationships better all around us. Now, hide your preacher behind the cross. Turn us loose and let us preach, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Greg. We've had uh, two great services so far, and I've had a few folks stop, stop me in the hallway and say, do you have a video camera set up at my house? And I'll say, what are you talking about? It says, well, three things that you cover today is what we're going through right now in our home. Well, the Holy Spirit has a way of doing that, especially if we're willing to listen and then apply those lessons in our lives. My research for a marriage series sort of landed the plane on marriage works. So these next four weeks, we're going to be talking about that marriage works. But then, each week, we're going to have a subcomponent, if you will. This week, it's you, me, and we. Some of us are trying to do it all in our marriage alone. That usually doesn't work out real well. But when we create the we, meaning that we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our marriage, when we allow Him to lead us and to guide us and how we communicate with one another, how we raise our kids, how we handle aging and love on our grandchildren. If we allow him to be a part of all of these phases of our lives, all the better we are going to be. Research and study brings a lot of things out of the darkness into the light. Last couple of weeks in getting ready for this series, I, I discovered that Marriage today in America, whether you've been married the first time, the second time, or the third time, 50% of those end up in divorce. That's troubling, especially when the voice of the church has become silenced, if you will, about the sanctity of marriage and what holy marriage is all about. For those that are just getting married the first time, 41% of those don't make it. So I think it would be safe to say that we're in epidemic proportions today in America as it relates to marriage. Now, I know that we're just a few days away from Valentine's Day, so hear me out. I think every good pastor or communicator is going to understand and know their audience. I know that we're not all married here today. Some of us are single. Some of us are still young and we're contemplating marriage and who I want to be with the rest of my life. Some of us are single again. Maybe divorce has touched you and your family. Some of us are here today because we've lost our loved one to death. 
So wherever we are on this relationship spectrum, I think God has a word for us today, and I pray that you'll just be patient with us and listen in just a little bit. The first statement I want to share with you is that both marriage and singleness are good in the eyes of the Lord. Let's talk about it a moment. First of all, biblically, marriage is expected. Like many of you, as I was a little boy, I had, I had girlfriends as I started out my journey at Owens Junior High School, and we were sweet on each other. And you would write each other love notes, and you would say things like this, I like you, do you like me, circle yes or no. And then you'd draw a long line, and you have yes or no. And it would bring you so much joy as a little boy, little girl, when they would say yes. But oh, how it could break your heart when they said no. And sometimes they say, I just want to be friends. And then we've been told that all of our lives, I just want to be friends. Well, sometimes that's the best relationship you can have. So, biblically, marriage is expected. Notice the text with me in Matthew chapter 19. The Bible says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And we're going to come back to that in just a little while but let's focus our attention now and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh on December the 19th 1992 I left my father and mother and I began to hold fast to my bride Joe's mom who was widowed left mama hand and held fast to her husband but we're living in a day that this is getting more and more difficult to do. It's sometimes difficult to cut apron strings. Sometimes there's a tether that follows us wherever we go and in whatever relationship that we are in. But yet when the two become one, verse 6 says, they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. When they join together in intimacy. So what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So biblically, marriage is an expectation. But secondly... Biblically, singleness is exceptional. That young men and young ladies who just want to have a heart for God and they stay single their entire lives, Paul says this is exceptional. Now, Paul writes with a a little bit of uh, experience in this area. What What do you mean, Joel? Well, probably at one time, because of some of the biblical titles that Paul held, he was married. Theologians have debated for two millennia. Well, if he had to be married, then he's writing as a single man. Some two-thirds of the New Testament, what happened? Most believe that he was a widow. So he writes in 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, But to, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So singleness is exceptional. But there, there are some limitations that you and I need to take into account. Just be honest with each other. And being exceptional as a single, we must guard against unholy, selfish desires. The longer a young man or a young lady stays single and their world begins to revolve around them, the more self-centered and selfish they become. And all the people said, it's just how it happens. It's just nature. It's not anything to be mad at. It's not anything even to be critical of. It's just sort of how it is. Because when it's just you and yours is taking care of you, you become self-centered. That's one of the things you have to guard against. John Stott, a theologian, writer, impressive preacher of the gospel, who just recently passed away in the last year and a half or two years, was a lifelong bachelor. 
who had a heart for God. And this is what he wrote. He said, apart from sexual temptation, the greatest danger which I think we face as singles is self-centeredness. And if we're not careful, we may find the whole world revolving around ourselves. And I appreciate his honesty. It's very refreshing when people will be honest. Amen. Just go ahead and share your heart of how you feel. And, 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 and Dr. John Stott was very, very honest with a whole generation of single young men and single young ladies that for whatever reason had not found the person to spend the rest of their life with, but they had a heart for God. But there's something else to consider as well. And usually this is the elephant in the room. In being exceptional as a single, we must guard against unholy sexual desires. The Bible teaches us numerous places, but I pulled out one. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. Now, before we go any further, don't walk out of here today and say, you know what, Pastor Joel said, if I can't control, i got to get married. That is not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible is saying. Because you and I can learn discipline. We can learn self-control as it relates to our sexual desires. But then Paul concludes by saying it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Individuals that cannot exercise self-control, if the Lord has brought a young man or a young lady into your life that loves you and is willing to be committed to you wholly and devotedly, uh, I, I say go for it and, and, and create a home and create a family. But let's do it God's way rather than man's way or the Supreme Court's way or what they say to do. Why not just follow what the Scripture says? Now let me tell you, in 30 years of ministry, I've had guys come to me and they fold their arms and say, I don't have a problem in this area. Now I know they're lying. And you know they're lying. But I want to hear them out. Bill Perkins said this, If you think that you cannot fall into sexual sin, then you're godlier than King David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. All three of these prominent figures in God's Word could not control unholy sexual desires. Now, I'm referring to singles, but these guys were married. They knew better, but yet they still fell prey. There are some of us in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've either been hurt by someone who did it to you, or you've hurt someone else because you did it to them. So I would encourage us, if you're going to be exceptional, if you're going to live that single lifestyle, you've got to guard against self-centeredness and selfishness. You must guard against unholy sexual desires. Well, we're a few days away from Valentine's. Both singleness and marriage portray the gospel. So whether we're single here today or we're married here today, it portrays the gospel. Let's talk about marriage first of all. Marriage portrays Christ's sacrificial love for the church. I thought I loved Joe on December the 19th, 1992. Well, here we are in February of 2019, and I'm still discovering how much more I can fall in love with her every day that goes by. That she does something, or she says something, or she serves my family in such a way. It's been a few years ago. My granny Carwile was still alive, and we'd gone to visit her out on Harris Road where she lived at the time, and my grandmother had a a little basket full of lotions and things beside her recliner. And just spontaneously, Joe gets up and says, Granny, would you mind me taking some of this lotion and just, just putting it on your feet? I, I noticed that your feet are cracked a little bit, and I would just love to do that. She says, oh, Joe, you don't have to do that. She says, I know that I don't have to, 
but I would love to. And I sat there and I watched my bride take my grandmother's feet in her hands. And she just put that lotion all over her. And man, my grandmother's going, ooh, that feels so good. And I said, Joe, I don't know. I didn't think I could love you any more than I did before we got here. But thank you for loving somebody that I love the way that you do. See, all of us need to understand, we need to discover that this sacrificial love for the church. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, men of God, husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved his church. What did Jesus do for his church? He gave himself up for her. Are you willing to give yourself up for your spouse? Are you willing to lay down your life for her and your family? If you're not, you're not where you're supposed to be yet. Because I believe the Bible is very clear in this concept. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. It means he died for the church. Are we willing to die for our families? Marriage also portrays the church's submissive obedience to Christ. You noticed on the bad marriage advice video a few moments ago where the guy sort of misquotes Ephesians chapter 5 and says, I'm the head of the house, so therefore you got to do everything that I say and everything that I want done. That's not what that means. In fact, if you go up to verse 21 in Ephesians 5, it talks about submission to one another. Joe and I still are learning that after 26 years of marriage, but holy submission unto God as we submit to one another because marriage portrays the church's submissive obedience to Jesus Christ. And how can you take two imperfect people and serve a perfect God? Well, the Bible says the mystery is profound. Amen? And it is a mystery how you can take sinful people like us and then you put us together with another sinful person and want to make something out of that. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Jesus Christ and the church. Joy, I, I know every, every pastor probably this time of year is going to speak primarily to those who are married, but you know, sometimes we as singles, Valentine's Day and what surrounds it is very tough. Well, Singleness portrays the Christian's ultimate identity in Christ. Sometimes we say, well, if I can just marry him, if I could just marry her, and then my life will be complete. We've, we've watched too many romantic movies that says, oh, you complete me. No, Jesus Christ completes us. Now, I love Joe, and I lay down my life for her, but my identity is not in Elizabeth, Joel, and Mahan. My identity is in Jesus Joe loves me and is devoted to me, but her identity is not in me. Her identity is in Jesus. That's what makes it work. Because sometimes if you're putting your identity in another person, then that person disappoints you, then your identity's broken. That's why our identity must always be in something that's higher than we are. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, two passages of Scripture, or two verses, 1 Corinthians 7, 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Then verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. I'm not saying that you're going to be single forever, but what I'm saying that right now that you're single and you've not yet betrothed yourself to someone else, gotten engaged and been married, I would encourage you to remain in that condition, but you remain in that condition in a godly way in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Now, we started out a few minutes ago. I showed a little caption. We're going to talk about marriage works for about four or five weeks. Marriage working is hard work sometimes. 
And some of us don't like to do hard work. We've gotten lazy in our relationship with our spouse. We've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, and we start taking each other for granted instead of being wholly devoted to them. So if you're going to have a marriage that works, you've got to work the marriage. Even today's message, you, me, and we, is a message about marital fidelity, observing the promises that you made. When I stood at Wall Highway Baptist Church that night with Joe, and we made covenant with one another before God and our family and the witnesses that were there, I made a commitment to have marital fidelity and observe those promises for the rest of my life. Conjugal faithfulness, that I would be faithful to my wife for the rest of my life. And yet today, we seem to struggle with commitment. We struggle with understanding exactly what that means. So here I am 30 years later, doing premarital counseling, mid-marital counseling, even post-marital counseling, and I've determined that there are three questions that matter the most relationally that you and I need to consider today. First of all, whom you're going to date. I don't know who coined this phrase years ago that says, never make a date with someone who wouldn't make a good mate, simply because you never know what you're going to get yoked up with. You never know what connection you're going to have with someone, and then you realize, I have a feelings for this individual, but I'm not supposed to spend the rest of my life with him or her. Whom you date, number two, whom you fall in love with. The person that you're going to make covenant with and fall in love with and be with them for the rest of your life, and then whom you're going to marry. These principles and questions we need to consider in our lives, especially if we are single or single again even today. Because I have to be honest with you, God created us for fellowship. God created us for friendship. God created us for companionship. So let me just give you a rule of thumb that would be great to follow. When you enter into a relationship with someone, you need to ask yourself whether or not this person is bringing me closer to God or pushing me away from God. Usually, that's the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. Part of my love for Joe is she draws me closer to God. She wants, the way she lives, she makes me want to be a better man, a better husband, a better dad even a better son to my parents. And I say, Lord, I want to be that for her. I want, I, I want my walk with Jesus Christ in our marriage to make her want to be a, a better daughter, to be a better wife, to be a better mom. And these are rules of thumb that sometimes we don't pass down to the next generation. We don't give these over to our kids or to our grandkids. But oh, how it matters. And it could protect us from so much heartache and so much heartbreak if we would consider it on the front side instead of on the back side. Notice on the screen with me in Genesis chapter 2. We'll read one verse, then we'll go to a series of verses. The Bible says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Then verse 20b. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. This was after the creation story. God had made Adam out of dirt. Then he had created all the other animals. David's naming all the, uh, David, uh, Adam is naming all of the animals. It's incredible what's going on. But then there is no one suitable to be a helper for Adam. 
It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And when the man woke up, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite preachers. And over the years, I've listened to him talk about a variety of subjects. And one time he was preaching on marriage. He said, I'm not being disrespectful toward God's word, but just sort of use your sanctified emotion for a moment and just, just comprehend that he'd been seeing animals and he'd been working the garden. And then God puts him to sleep and he wakes up and he sees woman for the very first time. And Chuck Swindoll says, I don't think he said bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I think he went, wow. <laughs> And then he said it backwards, wow, because he had never seen anything like that before. And God brought them together. And then once again, we see Scripture repeating, therefore a man would leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. And this is important. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It means warts and all, here I am. I'm not perfect. I'm imperfect, but I'm saved. And I love you. And I want to be loved. You, me, and we. See, we can love our spouse through the Holy Spirit. But you can't do it alone over a long period of time because there will be struggles. There will be, be times where they are unlovable. Maybe intentional or unintentional, but nevertheless unlovable. And you'll have to have we. you have to have the Holy Spirit alongside of you to help them at that moment, to serve them at that moment, to take care of them at that moment. You know, hum, human nature, the works of our flesh combine to produce a very immature, self-centered, and selfish people. For those who do not know Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we exist in our immaturity, our self-centeredness, and our selfishness awash in the darkness of our sin. And I want to remind you, you don't go to hell because you're bad. You go to hell because you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you need to be made alive and quickened by the Holy Spirit in order to repent of your sins and to believe in the gospel. So you can't use the excuse, Joel, I can't be saved because I've been bad. That doesn't wash with God. So today, friend, if you don't know the Lord, all he asks you to do is come to him just as you are. But on the other side of the coin, for those who do know Christ, we have a constant struggle in the same. And with the Holy Spirit as our helper, our potential to overcome is a daily reality. So you and I can overcome the works of the flesh. We can overcome the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, even in the context of marriage. So if you're here today and you're sitting next to your wife, Next to your husband, a saved husband and wife must constantly remind themselves that they are two rescued sinners in desperate need of constant love, forgiveness, and mercy, all the while expressing that same love, forgiveness, and mercy to their spouse. The reason why Joe can forgive me when I'm a bonehead sometime is because she's been forgiven so much. The reason why that I can forgive Joe when she disappoints me sometime is because I've been forgiven so much. See, when you and I begin to understand what we've been forgiven of, we should be able to quickly and easily forgive others. 
I know that some of us have been hurt deeply. The pain is still real. But I'm going to ask you, don't, don't live there anymore. Move on with your journey and be set free and be unbounded and unfettered from the things that have so easily beset you in your past because the Holy Spirit awaits and says, now I want to give you hope and I want to give you peace. I want you to look at Mark chapter 10 just real quick. The Bible says that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I had no idea that 30 years ago that there would come a day in my lifetime where it would be now offensive to state that marriage is only between a man and a woman. But that's the world in which we live today. But I realized a long time ago that regardless of what the law of God said, I now live in grace. Regardless of what the law of man says or what the Supreme Court says, I'm to follow what the Bible says. And so as long as I have the privilege of being your pastor, when I stand up in a pulpit somewhere, I will do the wedding of a man and a woman. And that's it. Because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Now let me tell you, you live that out at your job, you live that out in society, you're going to be criticized. I understand that. Sometimes you will be persecuted for the truth. And therefore, we must be willing in our generation to make sure that our sons and daughters are not confused. But so many of them are confused. Why? Because of what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And that's what we have going on in America today. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. May God have mercy on the wickedness that we embrace and the Pandora's box that we've opened on the next generation. Hey, I know what I'm saying is old-fashioned. I know what I'm saying is somewhat antiquated, especially with the millennial generation, but it's still the truth regardless of what year it is. And that's why it must be taught in Sunday school. That's why it must be taught in our homes. David and David only get our students for just a few hours a week. Moms and dads, this is on us. I appreciate Westminster Christian Academy, but they're only going to get Zeke and Danny for a few hours a day. They live with Joe and I. That's why we must influence them with the gospel truth. So speaking of gospel, how does the gospel affect our marriage? How, how does it shape and form our relationships? Let me give you just a few. Number one, because of the gospel, Christians have become new creations. When I got saved as an eight-year-old boy, I hadn't done a whole lot of things bad, but I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and there's no telling where I would be this morning without Jesus. But because he'd made me into a new creation and I listened to his voice, I get to come before you each week and share God's word to you. You get to live out the life that God has given you. Why? Because you are a new creation. Secondly, because of the gospel, we are forgiven. I don't know about you, that makes me feel real good on the inside that I've been forgiven. Not only the forgiven of the sins of my past and my present, but also the sins of my future. Now, the Lord still wants to hear from me, 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But I thank God that because of the gospel, we are forgiven. Thirdly, 
Because of the gospel, we can forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. I alluded to that a few moments ago. In the context of marriage, don't hold grudges. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Keep short accounts. Men and women both, they don't have ESP. They can't read your mind. Go ahead and share with them your brokenness. Go ahead and let them know what's going on so that these things can be resolved through the gospel. Because of the gospel, we are accepted by God. Can you imagine that? We, people like us, have been accepted by God based upon our repentance and belief in the gospel. Because of the gospel, sin's ruling power over us is broken. You and I that have a sin nature, we battle it every day. Your spouse battles it every day in your marriage. So regardless of the circumstance or the situation, please know that the power of sin has been broken. Because of the gospel, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. No longer the blood of animals that just cover our sin. We have the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away our sin. And because of that, we get to go directly to God. We get to speak to our Heavenly Father in prayer. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I taught that this Friday, past Friday night at the men's conference. Some of us today need to be reminded of that. And because of the gospel, we have hope. Some of you walked in today hopeless. My marriage is over. My relationships are over. My finances are over. It's just over. But with Jesus Christ, there's hope. The word hope comes from a Greek word, elpizo, which means to expect with certainty. You and I can expect with certainty today to God, for God to move in our lives. Because of the gospel, Christ dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. You're no longer alone. Because some of you walked in thinking you were alone. I've spoken to widow after widow over the years. And they say, Joel... This big old house sure does get lonely sometimes, but then I'm reminded that Jesus is here, and I'm never alone. You know, in Hebrews, he promised me that he had never leave me nor forsake me. You know, I've gone over at people's houses before to minister to them, and I'm the one that winds up getting ministered to. I'm the one that gets challenged by where they're living and what they're going through. Lastly, this morning, because of the gospel... We have power to fight and overcome the remaining sin which continues to dwell and war within us. You remember what Paul said in Romans 7? He said, the things that I know that I should do, I don't. And the very things that I know that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I'm doing. And that gave me so much peace years ago when I said, man, if Paul's still having a battle, who am I to think that I won't battle? Who am I to think that you won't battle? Today, if you're battling and you're still in the fight, to God be the glory. You hadn't thrown up your hands and surrender, now just wallowing in the pig pen of sin. Today, friend, he wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a future. He's got great plans for you, but you've got to be willing to give it all over to him.